Time to fire up the VCR. This one's my favorite. Welcome to Analog Jones in the Temple of Film. I'm Steve. I'm Matt. And we're a VHS podcast that reviews the box art, trailers, and behind the scenes. What are we doing this week for the end of Video Game Month? We're ending Video Game Month with probably one of the most iconic video game movies. Like, when you think of video game movies, this is probably the first one you think of. We are talking about 1995's Mortal Kombat. Oh, I think you have to say it. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> <laughs> Now, what is your history with this game, the first game or second? Um, I this is I'm not a gamer, but of course I played Mortal Kombat. Like I had uh, I had Sega Genesis, so that's what I played this for. I I had Mortal Kombat 2, but I had played Mortal Kombat 1 in the arcades because uh, the mall down the street from my house had the uh, first game in the arcade. Uh, I remember playing that a lot. I definitely played Mortal Kombat 2 all the time, and then when I upgraded to PlayStation 1, I got Mortal Kombat Trilogy, and I got pretty decent at that one. I'm, I'm a button masher, and I'm not a strategic player at all, uh, but I got pretty good at Trilogy on PlayStation, uh, and so when this movie was announced and the trailers and things started coming out, I was pumped because this was one of the only like video games that I was kind of into. Yeah, we had an arcade at the indoor soccer place that we went to play indoor soccer. I don't know, probably 92, 93. And I know the first game came out in 92, and I think the second game came out in 93, 94. Somewhere before, right before mm. this film. Yeah, we loved it. We had no idea what we were doing. Like, when a older kid would come in and do a fatality, it, like, we're just, like, blown, mind blown. Right, right. The gore, the, just, like, the crazy violence, like... For, for a little kid, this is like catnip. This is like, <laughs> this is everything we want. It's hyper violent, not realistic at all, super cartoony. And yeah, just like people's spines getting ripped out and the spikes. The fatalities were like be all end all. It would like make our week <laughs> in the early 90s. <laughs> and I remember getting Mortal Kombat 2 on Super Nintendo when that came out. And then that's when we started getting the Nintendo powers and figuring out how to do the finishes. And then of course the third one when they started adding friendships and just the third one got really weird. Yeah, third one was around the time of the, when the movie actually did come out around 95. And that one I'm the least familiar with, but I know there's some elements of it in that Mortal Kombat trilogy game that uh, I have for PlayStation. So, yeah, I, I, I don't remember 3 as well. 2, I can tell you what happened, so, like, B for B, because <laughs> I played it so much. I had it at home. I played it a ton. Yeah, 2 was the one, I think, that made me truly fall in love with the entire fighting genre. Because even though I did play Street Fighter... And that was kind of like the cartoony one. I never got really good at Street Fighter. Yeah, I played I played Street Fighter at the arcades too, but that one I never bought, you know, a game of. I bought Mortal Kombat 2. And then, like, I remember then anything that was sort of like Mortal Kombat then after that I would try to play. Like, I remember there was a... There was a 90s fighting game for PlayStation 1 called like Biofreaks or something like that where you play like mutant monsters that fight each other. It's basically just Mortal Kombat but different kind of weird characters. So I, I remember kind of going down like a Mortal Kombat rabbit hole a little bit too and finding like weird off games that were pretty much the same thing. Yeah, my weird rabbit hole other fighting game was Killer Instinct. And that was again another hyper violent and this was during the time period where hyper-violent was becoming very popular in the mainstream and being attacked right. by, like, Kipper Gore and stuff. Yeah, I remember all that. I remember the uh, anti-violent anti video game movement of the mid-'90s, which then led to, like, the, the Columbine, like, anti-violent everything in the late-'90s. Well, as you can tell from us, Marilyn Manson, the hyper-violent video games... It, it turned us into killers. Right, it turned us into absolute monsters that, you know, just decided to do a podcast and talk about these things. <laughs> absolute monsters. I know I'm up to 155 murders. I'm only up to 32. Very small. Very low number. 
Well, that's because you've just been procrastinating too yes. much. Yes, I've been watching too many violent video games. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, let's take a look at the box art here for the Mortal Kombat movie. We've sort of talked about our love of the games or our sort of nostalgia for the games. Let's talk about the movie here. If you take a look at the original uh, box art, this is, uh, we discovered that we watched a re-release because it lists Mortal Kombat Annihilation on the back. So we did watch a re-release, but this is the cover that's for all the releases of Mortal Kombat. It's so shameful that I didn't own the original release. <laughs> um, we actually just were surprised, like, because it is the same exact cover. Um, it's the black cover with the logo that we all know of the, what is that, like a dragon, snake dragon thing? Yeah, I just realized there's no dragons anywhere in any of the games or movie. No. It's just the, the symbol, I guess. It's just a really cool icon. But what the movie did was make it like a practical, real thing, and then it's all dusty and dirty and cracking, uh, and the eye is lit up. They kind of use the same thing in the opening credits, but this is, I think, a little more tactile looking than the opening credits uh, uses. And then uh, besides just this black cover, very like just simple, we just get the Mortal Kombat logo title, and we get the tagline, Nothing in this world has prepared you for this. And tagline. I don't know. I think uh, Mario Brothers kind of prepared us for this. <laughs> we get, it's PG-13 right on the cover. So you know, so kids know that they can actually get this one. And it's a four-star Rock'em Sock'em action flick, which is a quote from, I can't find it. Cool. They don't even put the person's name that does it on here. And usually they put it on the back in really small font but I can't even find that. So that is some sad stuff right there. <laughs> Four stars are Rock'em Sock'em action flick. When you uh, turn over to the side, you get the Mortal Kombat kind of logo we're used to with the dragon in the middle. It is VHS, Dolby Stereo, New Line, of course. And on the back, Gene Siskel gave it thumbs up, which probably means Roger Ebert gave a thumbs down <laughs> that's what that means to me math when, checks out <laughs> yeah oh i found the guy who said four stars toronto star okay those uh, canadians yeah they love it we get a action shot like a like a studio shot of Liu kang then we get uh, a shot from the movie with sub-zero and the ninjas we get a shot from the fight between scorpion and johnny cage we get a shot of the reptile CGI blob with uh, Shang Tsung, and we get Katana in like a studio still. Here, here's our description from the back, and then we can talk about the uh, cast and crew on here. Strap yourself in for pulse-pounding action, star-powered adventure, and cutting-edge special effects with awesome morphing sequences beyond your wildest dreams. Morphing was huge in the 90s. We talk about that all the time now. <laughs> Summoned to a mysterious island, three martial arts warriors engage in the ultimate battle of good against evil, the supernatural tournament of Mortal Kombat. Here's, here's your cast here, and it's listed right on the back. Starring Christopher Lambert, Highlander. Talisa Soto, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Bridget Wilson, Last Action Hero. And featuring world-class martial arts champion Robin Shu, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. It's the most awesome, action-jammed, reality-shattering adventure the universe has ever witnessed. Prepare for Mortal Kombat! Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun! Color, running time, 101 minutes. And it says, it specifically says under one of the stills, contains techno syndrome performed by the immortals available on Vernon Yard recordings because everybody came for the song. <laughs> everybody Sound loves that song. The soundtrack on this is incredible. It's so 90s and so great. Yeah. Uh, those are those are the main cast that I, I listed off here. Uh, the movie was directed by Paul W.S. Anderson, who would go on to do the Resident Evil movies. And it was shot by John R. Leonetti, who's like a famous um, cinematographer, especially in the 90s. He worked on everything from like Tales from the Crypt to big movies like this. But he would also then go on to direct Annihilation. Oh, no. <laughs> he would move into the big boy's chair for the next movie, and it did not pay off for him. <laughs> well, we'll get into that when we actually do that movie, but it's not all his fault. No. It truly is not. Let's get into the actual cast and crew of this, and we'll just say what we think about them. Now directed by Paul Paul Anderson, actually. 
and then he changed it to Paul W. S. Anderson because of I don't know 100. It seems like there's Wes Anderson. Yeah. There's Paul Thomas Anderson. Thomas Anderson, which he does the um, fruity fruity. Even though I do love Magnolia, but he just seems like much more of an artistic director. What, what's well? It's funny about Paul Thomas Anderson is how unpretentious he is, but like sort of his he he's sort of like he makes these movies that are artsier, and but he's super unpretentious. But pretentious fans love his movies. The funny thing is, and I think probably why Paul Anderson added the WS, he is the complete opposite of Paul Thomas Anderson, where he is just fluff, special effects, action sequences. Like that is that is his thing he's the king of style over substance yes and i think sometimes it works event horizon comes to mind as like a good movie that he's done and other times it's just like you know you get like uh the three musketeers uh remake that he did in the the late 2000s or what was that early 2010s actually i think woof That is a rough one to get through, and I don't know if I've ever actually finished it. Yeah, yeah, same. But I think he was the right choice for this movie for this time. Well, he was cheap, he was talented and young, so he was yeah. the, the new line choice. Right, yes, yes, which I think paid off for them because he went on to have a pretty healthy directing career. Despite not necessarily having a ton of fans, he's worked from start to finish of his career. Yeah, New Line has kind of just had a consistent basis of like finding the young, talented ones and getting them before they're ridiculously expensive. Wes right. Craven, you have yeah. Paul Anderson, Paul W.S. Anderson. I'm sure there's other ones in there that I just can't remember. Yeah. They, they have a ton of them. I, I remember uh, the director and writer of Freddy 3. Uh, Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street 3. Chuck Russell, who would go on to make like The Mask and... Yeah eraser things like that yeah they would they would get in on the ground floor and that's definitely what this is and i i think we should mention too since we're talking about cast and crew here this obviously we've said it now but this is a new line movie but this is such a 90s new line movie this has their stamp all over it yeah we're doing back-to-back amazing 90s well i mean Rampage should have been made in the 90s. Right, it feels like a 90s New Line movie. I'm just just gonna say, I I would love to put it in, like, Wikipedia, Rampage made in, like, 1998. (laughs) Right, because that's what it feels like, for sure. And then then this one is a 1995 New Line movie, and God, it just wears their stamp all over every shot, all the marketing for this. It's insane. Well, even the producer of this, Lawrence uh, Kasanoff, the man who started in trash and then did true eyes and then brought trash to Hollywood with stuff like this. And I'm not saying that as an insult. Right. I mean, the man did Ghoulies movies. Okay. Or at least one of them. Two oh, probably of them. the new line yeah. ones. Yeah. Probably. He did the Ghoulies go to college. Maybe. Yeah. He did Chud. He did a bunch of like trashy B movies that are fun and kind of fun to laugh at. Yeah. Not anything good. And then somehow got true eyes with James Cameron and it changed his career. Yeah. And he goes on to, you know, do stuff like Mortal Kombat. You can look him up, talk enough about him. But he's just, like, the perfect man to do a movie like this. Right. I think I do think everybody who came together behind the scenes were all the right people. And like I mentioned, John Leonetti went on to do the next movie, but he shot this movie. He was probably one of the top cinematographers working at this time. We watched another video, and we'll talk about it in the behind the scenes. It has a behind the scenes of the making of the movie, and they even got, like, the top martial arts people to work on this movie as well so i mean their crew was the right crew for this we'll go more into it behind the scenes it started out that wes anderson knew nothing about it and he was recording a lot of the fight scenes by himself and then they realized yeah we need good choreographers <laughs> they got the best he admitted wes anderson is like i didn't know what i was doing and they're letting me do this and it was an awful idea so they yeah. brought in people but behind the scenes we'll get into that now this was also a midway game same thing with Rampage. So I'm starting to think that New Line is just a midway making fool when it comes <laughs> to video games. They like them, apparently. I wonder, apparently. I wonder too, if Rampage was the gateway ticket to the eventually be announced third Mortal Kombat movie. I wonder if that's why they did it. They were like, all right, let's rekindle our mm-hmm. our working relationship with Midway with this one that's kind of low risk with The Rock, and then we'll take all the money we make from this thing with The Rock, get in Midway's good graces, and make this like Mortal well, Kombat reboot. Warner Brothers owns Midway's licensing mm-hmm. on movies, games. 
and Warner Brothers owns New Line. Right. So there's like you know the triangle. It's easy this to makes get, sense. Yeah. Yes. So I, I do think you're right because they've been trying to do a new Mortal Kombat for almost ten years and right. it just can't come together. I think now's the time. And I think with us doing this podcast, it's going to be the uh, Analog Jones effect where we're going to drop this and it's going to come out. <laughs> That's right. We bring this shit back. Yeah. So, yeah, just good good crew for this movie, the right people together. Before let's, we break down the movie, let's talk about the, the casting of our favorite characters in this. So, we had playing, oh, man, Liu Kang was... Robin Shu. Robin Shu, which was also in Beverly Hills Ninja. Yes. A Hong Kong karate fighter movie man. Yeah. And Extremely good looking dude. Like, so surprised he didn't do more like leading man stuff. I Yeah, I don't understand why. Uh, maybe it was the ridiculous mullet. Maybe. Maybe it was <laughs> of that time only. He's Liu Kang and would say for the time. Probably perfect casting for Luke oh, King. Absolutely. Good job, whoever decided to go with him. Then we had Bridget Wilson playing Sonya Blade. Yes. Good choice for the time. Yeah, I mean, she's just... And she was nicknamed Robo Babe by um, Anderson. And it is. She's a tough-looking character. Yeah. She had come off of Last Action Hero. And she would go on to do a ton of stuff. She hasn't. She isn't acting as much now. She's kind of slowed down, but she had a good career for a good 15 years after this movie still. Yeah, late 90s, uh, yeah. mid to late 90s actress that was well-known. Now, she ended up marrying Pete Sampras, I believe, so maybe she just doesn't need to act yeah, anymore. Yeah, she doesn't need to. Yeah. <laughs> She's got enough money. So we have Lyndon Ashby playing uh, Johnny Cage, and we've talked about him actually before because he showed up in that what Blood In, Blood Out, Bound for Honor trailer that we saw before a movie recently. And we talked about, like, this guy was supposed to be a star, and he just never really took off. Yeah, he ended up getting into TV, television, and doing some of that. That's part of it. I think you can easily have a down period, go into a couple TV shows, and before you know it, you're just a TV star. Yeah, and I mean, it seems to be working out for him. I mean, he's Melrose Place, tons and tons of soap operas, and uh, now he's on Teen Wolf, so he's still in the public eye for sure. He had a leading man look. Yes. And it just didn't fully work out. Yeah, it just, it just didn't take for him, which is fine. He's probably the best actor in this movie. And he shows up in Iron Man 3, apparently. Wow, I don't remember that at all. Now, I'm going to try... I, I love that I get to pronounce his name. Kerry Hiroyuku Tagawa? Kerry Tagawa? Yeah, we could just call him Kerry Tagawa for <laughs> the wow. sake of not butchering his middle name here. He also... Shang Tsung. Yeah, mm-hmm. Shang Tsung. Super fun to watch in this as well. Oh, no, he's perfect casting. This man nailed it. Yeah. Even though he knew nothing about the game at the time, and that's probably why some of his lines make no sense at a certain point. Like when they kept saying over and over, flawless victory. Right. Like, no, you th- flawless victory means you don't get hit. <laughs> there was only like one flawless victory in Right, this. and they say it like a few times, and yeah. it's like, no, that's not what that means. So anyway, he was perfect. And then, of course, we have to talk about the highest paid actor on this entire thing, Christopher Lambert. Oh, yes. Who... Actually seems to be having fun in this movie, which I feel like is rare for him. (laughs) He always looks miserable in every movie he's in, uh, except for probably Highlander, the first one. He looks miserable in all the sequels. So it's actually looking like he was having a ton of fun in this. Uh, Well, he is. I mean, the way he played Raiden is not the way you should play Raiden at all. (laughs) And he just didn't care. Yeah, my my Raiden is James Remar. I think he nailed it in the second one, uh, even though that movie turned out the way it did. Christopher Lambert's just playing a fun Christopher Lambert in this. Like, that's all he's doing. He's not doing anything particularly (laughs) Raiden-y. Yeah, as a kid, I didn't like him as Raiden. Going back and rewatching this film, I kind of do because he seems to get it. He's just like, whoa, guys, we're not making a rated R epic noir here. We're just making a fighting movie. Right. We're just making a silly kids movie. (laughs) Let's look at New Line's trailers coming out on this movie. Coming soon to home video. So the trailers that we had in the Mortal Kombat tape, do you remember them? I remember the mask. It had a 30-second promo in there and just how much I love that movie. 
Mm-hmm. Love that movie. <laughs> Again, I wanted to go back and watch The Mask. Right. It has everything of, like, New Line that I love in it. Mm-hmm. And, like, the marketing is so good. Like, no wonder that movie was a hit. The marketing for that was so good. That even 30-second spot was awesome. I wanted to, like, pull my tape out immediately when I saw that. <laughs> like, well, then they had Dumb and Dumber. Yeah, more Jim Carrey. Oh, gosh. So, so good. Yeah. And that was another, like, really short, like, 30-second spot, too. But I was like, God. What a funny movie. Like, I just wanted to put it in. Uh, anyway, yeah. So we and saw we had those. Rumble in the Bronx. And then, well, and then there was also a very short spot, like a almost like 20-second spot for First Strike as well, the Jackie Chan movie. Oh. That was at the beginning. So we get, we get wow. it, was, it was every other. We did First Strike or whatever it's called. I think it's First Strike. Then it's, then it's The Mask. Then it was Rumble in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Which was more of a full trailer mm-hmm. for Rumble in the Bronx, which I've never seen, by the way. It's really good. Uh, I never, I haven't seen really any Jackie Chan movies. Well, you have to like, you know, fighting. Yeah. That's they do it right. There's hardly any resting in a Jackie Chan film. Yeah, I mean, they yeah. just do it right. I feel like I would start with Rumble in the Bronx if I started with Jackie Chan movies. Pretty good start. It was like Chan carry Chan carry. It was like who's New Line's big stars right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how they do it, and that's how they just became a giant, massive, trash-building awesomeness of the 90s. Yeah. Even though Jackie Chan and Dumb and Dumber and The Mask, none of them are trash. They're just good. Yeah. No. They're, it was just, but you know, you know, it's trashy. They're good movies, but it's like, they're still movies for, like, well, teenage boys, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's not art. <laughs> I mean, they've definitely done real trash. Yeah, they've done trash. Yeah. This is good trash. Yeah. Yeah. This is junk food. Right. It's good junk food. Yeah. Yes. You need it sometimes. And that's what you get with, like, the mask. (laughs) All right. Let's let's break down the movie. In each of us, there burns the fury of a warrior. In every generation, a few are chosen to prove it. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. Three strangers will travel to the mystical realm of Outworld to defend our people against Shang Tsung. You will and his forces of darkness. In an ancient tournament, one more victory. Your soul is mine. And our world is theirs. It has begun. trailer sets up this movie well yeah it gets you hyped i was so pumped when this was announced and like when that trailer dropped i was like i have to see this movie as soon as possible completely agree about it so i'll break this movie down really quickly fast we have three main characters sonya blade is a special forces agent who is tracking down kano the australian mob boss or whatever that killed their partner we have Liu kang which was part of a monk whatever temple that is training warriors or has been training warriors to fight in this mortal combat for hundreds of years and i know the outside realm has won nine times in a row if they win the 10th one they get to take their realm into our earth realm and i don't know take over the world whatever and then we have johnny cage which is uh a real karate champion i guess in his mind and in the real world but everyone takes him you know as a fool who's he's an actor yeah Yeah. and he's also you know got that great look of just machismo and over-the-top confidence Mm -hmm. so these three get kind of picked by raiden 
sort of. They come together, and Raiden's like, you've got to go to this tournament and save Earth, and I'm going to be your helper and protector, and I'm going to give you all these, you know, really odd helping lines. I, I don't even know how to describe what he does. Yeah. Listen. You have been chosen to defend the realm of Earth in a tournament called Mortal Kombat. Your world is but one of many realms. One of them is a forsaken land called Outworld, ruled by an immortal who has crowned himself Emperor. He's supposed to be all-powerful, but he doesn't do shit. He sits and smiles and, like, his eyes light up. That's about it. And then they duplicate that actor, or that character with Catania, or whatever her name is, who also Katana, sits there, yeah. gives these weird little tidbits of help. I'm like, just... Why are you two doing this? Yeah, I don't know what their purpose is. And, like, Katana's supposed to be bad because uh, she's working with uh, Shao... Not Shao Kahn. That's later. What's his name? Shang Tsung. Shang Tsung. Yeah. Um, I get the two confused all the time. She's working with him at first, and then she ends up being good in the end. And it's just like, okay, cool. Yeah, so they But just... it's so pointless. There was no, like her turning on him or anything like that it was just it's like she saw Liu Kang and was like yeah I want to jump them bones so I'm going to be good now (laughs) (laughs) yeah and they all go to Thailand basically which is supposed to be some mystical magical island where they do this fight Mm -hmm. and then they go there to fight to see who wins that is the movie yeah it is simple it is paint by numbers fight movie so they did that right right but I will now say my sort of opinion on the movie. It's a movie based on fights. Why is this movie so fucking boring? <laughs> there are times, yeah, especially the setup to this where you're like, I don't I don't care. Why are yeah. why aren't we fighting more? This movie should have been Bloodsport. Right. Like Bloodsport was easy to understand. Like this should have been. Bloodsport is, oh, they all go to a tournament. And we have that board that constantly pops up, so we see who's fighting. Yeah. And then we have the bad guy hurt the good guy's friend, and then we have a reason to hate the bad guy. Yeah, that's it. That's all we needed. And, like, it's just, I don't know. I wish, I wish, yeah, they just embraced what their their paper-thin, simple plot they should have just ran with because them trying to do too much with it just like slowed everything down why is this movie an hour and 45 minutes long (laughs) well i think they had a really simple plot at the beginning they went into this and then it kind of got convoluted where they're like well you know the second one's out so we got to add all these characters and these little plots subplots and you're like no just go there have a tournament maybe you know have what is it shang sung do something so then Liu Kang, well, he kills Liu Kang's brother. So that's right. what they were trying to set up. Right. But it, it doesn't work. It doesn't really connect. And I think one of the big problems with this is there's not enough fights. You know, there's, there's really not. And, like, when the fights finally do come, the payoff is so underwhelming. There's, there's, there's a lot of cool shit in this movie, and I'll talk about all that in a second. But, like, the fights, by the time you get to them, it's just like, oh, it's basically like just basic movie fight scene shit. You're not seeing crazy things. I mean, this movie does suffer from the PG-13 rating. There's no spines being ripped out. There's no blood. Uh, we do get the spikes at, at the end, and we do get a pretty gnarly death on uh, Scorpion. But that's because he's a cartoonish character. They're able to do that. There's no no humans are getting their spines ripped out or anything in this, which kind of makes the fights like, oh, it's like, yeah, I get to see these characters that I love from the game fight, but like, it's just like basic fights. <laughs> yeah, it is as good a character as Shang Tsung is, when he goes and kills Liu Kang's brother, and then Liu Kang is kind of like, I gotta go to this tournament, and then Raiden shows up and he makes fun of him. That's kind of where you're supposed to really embrace Liu Kang as a character where you can follow and have emotional connection to. And really, even as a child... And as an adult now, there's no connection with this guy. I don't care. No, he, he is too, too thinly developed. Like, there's nothing to him. While his, like, look is perfect and while his charisma is perfect for Liu Kang, he's so badly written. He's mm-hmm. so ba- underwritten, like, for this movie. 
And Whereas, then, like, Johnny Cage, who is not the star, who is, like, the third build, is the best written. And it's like, why why did they put all their effort into, like, a side character and not give anything to the main character? True. Like, Johnny Cage is a thin character also. Oh, yeah. No, but still. when you get to it, like, I really understand his motivation. And I should understand Liu Kang's. Or, I mean, dang. Yeah. Did I get that right? Yeah, Liu Kang. Yeah, yeah. I should understand Liu Kang's, but I don't. Johnny Cage, I get. He's just... You know, I want to show everyone I'm for real. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, got it. Sold. Done. Yeah, done. That's all I needed. And then he gets to say funny one-liners, and he prove himself or whatever, and then prove himself to himself a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. And it, it's good. It works. But Liu Kang, I'm just like, eh. And then Sonya, to me, is another one I just... you like, there's no connection. She wants to have this revenge. Right. And really, I'm more captivated by Kano because when he's acting like a complete moron, he seems like a real moron. Right. <laughs> and I like it. Yeah, he's a fun character to watch. I kept wishing, though, that it was Vinnie Jones and not whatever actor they got for this, because that's what I kept thinking of when I would see him. But other than that, yeah, he's he's more fun to watch than she is, which is unfortunate because she's like our second lead. Yeah. So I guess we'll just go bounce this from fight to fight. That what'd you think about that Sonya and Kano fight? Boring. Yeah, see I like the look of Kano. I like the look of yeah. him. Yeah, I agree. Except that fucking makeup on his face. The little whatever that's yeah. supposed to be. Cause when I kept looking at it, I go, why does it look so cheap? Kind of figured it out. When they went to this Thailand they went to Thailand, whatever section they're at, they had to take these little canoes. They didn't have a lot of makeup and prosthetics that they could bring with them. Well, I, I will say, yeah, it looks cheap and cheesy, but, like, I actually kind of like like all the characters' looks in this movie. I sort of like the way they go with it. Like, I do... I like the stupid silver and red, like, eyepiece that he has or whatever, like, a, his half-face piece. It's cheesy looking, but at least it's, like... I mean, they got all this look. from the game, so yeah. it's not hard. It's not... I'm not... New Line doesn't get any credit for the look of these characters because it's already been set up from Mortal Kombat. If I don't know. You... I guess my argument then is the the translation to screen is fine for me then. Well, all of them except the Kano thing, when I look at it, it looks kind of like aluminum tin. And then I'm like, <laughs> why? why? <laughs> all you have to do is he's barely in the movie. Just make that part of his face look good. Yeah. But other than that, yeah, the fight's boring. And then we move on to... The two coolest characters, it should have been the two coolest characters, Sub-Zero and Scorpion. Yeah. They weren't cool. No, they were ultra lame, but they looked cool. Again, the look is, they nailed the look of them for the movie. Uh, They translated very well to film. But yes, just boring. They're just boring characters, and they just like kind of die so easily and so quickly, both of them. Well, I like the Scorpion-Johnny Cage fight as a child. As an adult, I was like, well... Uh, I see what they're trying to do. But the rope snapdragon thing they have come out of Scorpion I thought was dumb. Because in the game, it's just like a spike. And it's, come over here! Right, and why, now it's why like are we a doing? living thing yeah. that comes out. Yeah, Just just make it a spike. Yeah. Well, because the reason probably is because they couldn't put a spike through a person because it was a PG-13 movie. So they're like, well, if it's just roaming around free, give it like a little face or something. <laughs> but you don't actually have to put the spike through someone. Just throw it at right. Johnny Cage, have it miss, like it did in this movie with the you know the snapping dragon. Yeah. Whatever. I, I just think that was overthought. Yeah, it was It was definitely, I feel like, a PG-13 decision in my mind. But anyway. The, yeah, the, the, the Sub-Zero Liu Kang one you just said, that is the lamest fight. Yes. What's her name? Katana comes into the fight and is like, what's the most basic element? And he's like, water! And throws water on him, and that's it. That kills him. That works for some reason. <laughs> well, that pissed everyone off, even test audience who saw it. Or, like, we're all kids in the audience, like, what was that? Yeah, like, we came for Sub-Zero. Yeah, Sub-Zero and Scorpion. It, come that on. sold the movie to kids. Like, those two characters sold the movie to kids, and... Sub-Zero went out like such a bitch and we were like, damn it. (laughs) What a disappointment. And then we get this stupid thing where Shang Tsung keeps trying to cheat. Raiden comes in with these little quibs. Yeah. And then, you know, it's kind of like, well, whatever. But the saving grace to this film, in my opinion, is Goro. Shang Tsung is a great sorcerer. The 
wise cultivate his favor. Those who challenge his power become his slaves. Yeah? Well, I haven't seen any of them around. You fool. You know nothing. He enslaves souls. He learned the black arts from the Emperor himself. Mm. You're some kind of royalty too. Right. I am Goro, General of the Armies of Outworld and Prince of the Subterranean Realm of Shokan. Subterranean? What's that? Something like underground? Yes, something like that. Yeah? Well, I'm kind of an underworld boss myself, you know. Mm. Back home. How lucky for them, back home. The practical effects of Goro are some of the most amazing I've ever seen. Incredible. It's incredible animatronic. Like, it is incredible that they were able to pull this off. And behind the scenes, when you look at it, I don't know how many puppeteers and people with, like, I always love it when you look at them. They've all got joysticks trying yeah. to control this thing. Yeah, and but it works. God it damn, it works. Yeah, I mean, looking at it right now, you're like, okay, I can clearly tell that's animatronics and how it moves, but I still love it so much I would more. rather that than CG for sure, because we get a full CG reptile, and look at how that thing looked. Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, the Goro looks great. Uh, he couldn't do, I mean, nowadays, I imagine we could do some really cool, like, practical effects with CG added into it. Yeah. And then make it look really good. As long as, I guess, now as good as their motion capture has gotten with it, it probably would look great. Yeah, I would assume if they did a Goro today, it would be motion capture. <laughs> it would have to be, I would, I would assume. But I, my hope would be that they would try at least a practical thing first. Yeah, I loved it. I loved watching the Goro fight. In fact, I stopped it, rewound it, and watched it again just to see the movement of Goro when he fought Johnny Cage. But that also ended up being lame, too, because Johnny Cage does the splits, punches him in the balls. That's great. That's it. But then that's it. Then he and runs then away. And then he runs away. They get to the cliff, and they have Goro fall. And it's just like, uh, okay. Oh, I forgot at the end, though, that Scorpion fight in Johnny Cage. I fucking love the cheesiness of the friendship where the uh his signed photograph falls yeah i love that yeah that, that was really cheesy funny. awesomeness that's that was the most 90s cheese ever in there and it was so good yeah that cracked me up and i did like uh i liked the over the top scorpion demise like when his like skull gets sliced and mm -hmm. it's, like melts and shit like i said that was the only time they were probably allowed to do that in the movie but at least like they kind of did it fun for the one time that they did it yeah, there's only three fights in this whole movie that I like. And Goro and Johnny Cage isn't even a good fight. I just like it when he punches him in the balls. Yeah. That's it. So it's not... There's two good fights, in my opinion, in this. And we're about to get to the last one, and that's when they finally get to the Outworld because Shang Tsung captures Sonya, and then somehow when they get to the outside realm that Raiden's not allowed to travel in, did you notice Sonya is in this, like, weird ripped up dress and they tease her hair yeah she looks like uh like sex kitten now all of a sudden like what yeah is that for the adults or the children it's probably for the teenage boys who came to see this movie well that's what <laughs> i mean by children yeah that, definitely <laughs> definitely for them but it's so bad <laughs> oh yeah no it was it's but like in the 90s that was okay <laughs> like, oh, that was passable in the 90s oh you could get that through anything now it, I mean, maybe we'd complain a little bit more, yeah. but you could still do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it'd still make no sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We would just call attention to it now, but you could still get away with it. But th in this time, it was like, oh, yeah. Like, look mm. at how hot she looks. It was, yeah. Unfortunate, but that's the that's the choice they made. They really, and like, just like in terms of like how they deal with the, the females in this movie, they really don't know how to treat Katana at all. Like, at all. Katana just useless she's just Raiden too basically she had to be thrown in at the last yeah the last second like we need you know what we need this actress she's in the second game let's get it what is she gonna do i don't she's gonna help Liu kang and i'm they were supposed to be a love interest at the beginning so i think that character had more but it just got dwindled down because they're to like nothing man yeah, it's just useless you might as well just take her out yeah at that point yeah for sure 
And so. I mean, I think I even think like they didn't know what to do with Sub Zero and Scorpion and Goro. I feel like the scenes that those guys are in are just total fan service scenes because they don't know what to do with them. See, I mean, we've got these cool looking characters, but we don't know what to do with them. <laughs> see, I thought they knew what to do with Goro, and they did it. They just couldn't go. They had limitations because right. of the. That's more what I mean for him. Yeah. yeah, Katana on the other hand, or, is that her name? Yeah, Katana. Yeah, yeah she was useless. Sub Zero and Katana good. useless. Uh, Scorpion had a little bit more. Yeah, and then, like, okay, what's the deal with Reptile here? What See, is their I, choice here? <laughs> Reptile was in the first game, and it was one of the last... You couldn't... It was a non-playable character. I, it was right before Goro, maybe? Oh, okay. I think it went... I think. I could be wrong. So they were kind of going in order of the game Well, it, it's spo- I think it's supposed to go Reptile, Goro... Then Shang Tsung, and then Shokan at the end. But that's the second one. But they, yeah, they yeah. kind of do that. They kind of blend though. this yeah. movie. It, it doesn't really work out with it. So when they get to the reptile fight and they break through the wall, for all you, that, for all the fans out there that don't like study film, you and I are got you were much better before this, but now I'm getting much better. When you see someone bust through a wall, that's an added scene, and I and I know. <laughs> Right when they, right when I watched this, I go added scene. So I saw Jackie Chan say in an interview one time, he's just like, "Oh, when we don't have enough fights, we have to add fights." And he said one of the best things to do is either bust someone through a wall or a door and then add a fight. And as soon as they bust through the brick wall of this, I go added scene. Yeah, he added fight in here because then they can go to a different location and right. you can tell. Right. So test screenings, they didn't have this reptile fight. Or the reptile CG blob. blob. <laughs> when test audiences saw it, they're like, there's not enough fighting. So they put that fight in. And that's from a different choreographer. And that's why that the reptile uh, Liu Kang fight is easily the best, in my opinion. It's the most, like, yeah, it does actually feel very Jackie Chan-like. It's mm-hmm. the most, like, that 90s-era kung fu movie. Fight. And you had the wiring. Yeah, the wire work all over the place because like he's reptiles like flipping backwards over and over again luke hangs up in the air doing his kick thing like yeah oh yeah the bicycle kick yeah yeah which is from the game right Mm -hmm. the second one yeah Yeah. it is it is the best it is the best fight scene in the movie for sure like technical wise Mm -hmm. yeah but it still just still feels so much like fan service to me it is. It's exactly. It, yeah, it, it does. It just feels like fan service. To that one, I think it's fan service that actually works because it's a good fight. That's what the rest of them should have been. It's just good <laughs> fights. So we get to the final fight after the CG blob reptile gets killed by being, I don't know, what, he dies in a statue? Oh, yeah, him. yeah, he dies in the statue that like crumbles into bugs. Yeah, reptile sucks. Yeah, reptile the, the that... CG reptile sucks. Yeah. It's the worst. Oh. And I don't know what that choice was. <laughs> like, that was such a weird choice for that character. Well, it was like the Jumanji monkeys. We did another New Line movie that had shitty... Oh, uh, Lost in Space monkey. Yeah, yeah, that's that again here. And we had the reptile here. It's like New Line used the same company, and it's just shit. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Mm-hmm. So then we get to the final fight with Shang Tsung, and again shitty cg where he's trying to use all the souls of dead fighters to beat Liu kang and then the fight's not that good yeah it's very forgettable i just i like literally just finished that before i walked over here and i don't remember any of it (laughs) (laughs) the cg at the end didn't they try to use like the giant like flying dragon thing to represent all the souls yeah yeah it's it's not good no and it's so lame it's just so lame and forgettable I kind I like this film. I like it for the '90s, '90sness. Yeah, no, like uh, I will say overall, I don't like this film because of like the script and like how kind of boring it is. But I do like the sets a lot. I like the sets a lot. I like all their different uh, settings where they have the fights and things like that. I, I like the the character looks of everybody, and I like yeah, just the general '90s feel of everything, like from. The overuse of the Dutch angles to like the the extremely polished look of the movie and the you know the lighting schemes and stuff like that. I love the '90s look of the movie. I love the characters. I love everything that like I'm visually looking at. I like. It's just like everything else kind of falls flat for me. <laughs> That's pretty much a 
Paul W.S. Anderson movie, though. He, he The style of his movies are usually awesome. Yeah, I'm so into the look of this movie. So and, into it. And the, the script, character development, and everything like that is so secondary. Yeah. Um, but to Paul W.S. Anderson's credit, this is the look that carried through for everything then in the franchise, which we'll talk about in the behind the scenes, all the different franchise stuff. But, like, everything from the cartoons to the TV shows to the sequel, they all have this look. He did establish a look of the franchise. Like, everything outside of the game looks like this movie. So, I mean, at least there was that established. Yeah, I don't know if he fully did all this stylized or if it was New Line or a combination. I'm sure it's a combination. Yeah. But, yes, you're right. They coined... The look that just kept going. Yeah, they, they really define the look here. So major, major nostalgia props to that. Like, that was fun to watch. Well, and then we had the stinger at the end where Shao Kahn comes. And then we're like, they do the posed fight with them, like, in a row, mm-hmm. very, like, Power Rangers almost, like. Yeah. And then they're like, all right, here we go. Slam credits. And there's that fucking awesome song, which we haven't even talked about yet. This song was not from the games, right? Correct? No, no. The song is amazing. There's no doubting that that Mortal Kombat theme is, like, iconic. It's the most iconic. Yeah, it's the look of this and the song is what carries this movie into everyone's mind even now. Yeah, you can't, like, you get pumped when you hear that song. (laughs) You can't, like, ignore it. Like, it's so good. And then that goes for the overall soundtrack is pretty good for this one as well. Not as good as 2's soundtrack, but pretty good. (laughs) Again, that's like a thing that runs through the New Line movies, is we'll spend a lot of money on soundtracks, we'll spend a lot of money on look, we'll spend even money on some actors, but then we'll get the cheapest director we can find. Yeah. And uh, who cares about the script, mostly? Just just do this. And to New Line's credit, that platform works a lot of the time. It works a lot of the time. I think it only Mm -hmm. half works here, though. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, New Line makes typically, you know, movies made for 10 to 21-year-old males. Yeah, they do. I 100% agree with that. And that, I think that's what makes them awesome. And Not that we need more movies for males in the world, but, like, they make the best kind of, like, schlocky male entertainment, for sure. Well, we've trailed off on the breakdown here. Let's get to our behind the scenes. You humans are so unpredictable. <laughs> I've got to tell you something. You guys did great. So our behind the scenes is starting. We don't have a ton. Uh, You know, Christopher Lambert, of course, made the most money. And apparently he originally wasn't supposed to travel with him to Thailand. But then decided, I can't make a movie and do that. So he paid for all of his travel expenses. And then actually paid for the rap party. The entire thing. So apparently he was great to work with. He actually, you know, he like seems like a nice guy. Like, I don't know. He could be a dick. I don't know. Uh He seems like he could be a nice guy. I'd hang out with Christopher Lambert. He does not come back for the sequel, though. Yeah, I don't know why. I guess we'll figure out when we do Annihilation. And if you do know, save it. Yes. (laughs) Um, But he does not come back for Annihilation. Probably good, because he's not the right Raiden, in my opinion. He just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. These little quibs and everything I like as an adult, but... This movie was made for 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds, and they wanted to see Raiden fight. Yeah, and not just, like, sit and be, like, a Yoda almost type character. I was watching part of this. Ashley was in the room, and she said, she said, why why is he in this? And I go, I just looked at her, and I went, Highlander. That's why. Like, they watched yeah. Highlander and was like, yeah, this is Raiden. Yeah, because it's supposed to be, it should be a Japanese actor who can actually fight but they went with Christopher Lambert and White washed it. Yeah. Uh, they did have a good reason. You know, no one likes, most people don't like the whitewashing of Hollywood films. Right. But once they had all these casting and they had people who were going to play Raiden, they kind of were like, hey, we can't do this. We don't have an actor to sell this. Typically not a good idea. So they put Christopher Lambert in this. The creators of the game said, that will work. We understand you need someone to sell this film. Because even Kano was supposed to be a Japanese character. But when the guy walked in who was British and decided to do an Australian, everyone liked it. And from that point on, because of this movie, Kano's Australian in the games from like three on up. Nice. Yeah, I think think this movie set the tone for a lot of the later games too. Yeah. Well, I mean, Midway just kind of 
took what worked in the movie and said, yeah, yeah, that we like Kano as an Australian. Let's make him Australian. Yeah. And I love that the guy was British the entire time, but they always thought he was Australian because he never left his accent. Like, he never... He just played Australian the entire shoot. That's hilarious. Yeah. This became a franchise. Mm-hmm. So we got a second movie, Annihilation, because this one made so much money uh, in 97. So only two years later, after this one came out, we got a animated prequel video that was to sell this movie called The Journey Begins, mm-hmm. which we're going to talk about in a sec. And then we got a animated TV series based off of this movie called Defenders of the Realm. And then we got a live-action TV series in 1998, so this was after Annihilation, called Conquest that was on TNT that lasted for at least 30, 20-something, 20, 20 30 episodes, something like, that, something like that, like way longer than I thought it would have lasted. Besides this game franchise, which I, mean, I couldn't even tell you how many games there are, I don't know. I don't um, know either. But there is a whole cinematic franchise as well. I mean, yes, there are TV shows and games, but you know what I mean, like filmed entertainment franchise besides that this movie created as well. Before we did this, I forgot Conquest existed, and I definitely didn't know about the web series. In 2011, a short was made, like a five-minute short, with uh, Michael Jai White from Spawn and Black Dynamite as Jax, which is like literally perfect casting. Yeah, and no, people, no kidding. People yeah. liked that short, and that short got turned into a web series called Legacy that lasted for a, a bunch of seasons. I think it lasted for like three years. And they, they since uh, edited them together into a feature, and there was a web series about it. And that's sort of then where the franchise stopped. Now, what I heard was that James Wan was involved in a reboot a few years ago, but there's been no movement on that front since. But I think it's coming now. But now I think it's gaining more and more traction, and I think Rampage will probably push it over the top. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be the next new line game we see. Plus, now they can make it rated R because of Deadpool and Logan. Yes. They can make these movies rated R, which they should be. Yeah, so they can absolutely. do the whole gory, nasty violence that they had with the games, and then tie it into the 30-year-olds or 40-year-olds who used to play it. Right. And you're going to get the kids coming because apparently parents don't care about Rated R anymore because when I saw Deadpool and Logan, way too many children in there, and that's violent. I don't think people care about the R rating in general because both times I saw The Strangers 2 in theaters, there were kids that families were like taking. These weren't kids that snuck in like we used to do. So, we were teenagers. These are like being brought by their parents. <laughs> I guess the internet has changed this because I they, think can, so. they, they can, can see, see everything. Yeah. They can see everything. So mine as well. Why hide it from them? Like they, they're they going to get it anyway. Back in my day, we <laughs> snuck in. But now you can't sneak in because those back doors are locked. We used to put rocks in the back door and hold it open. So one person would get in and then we'd sneak in through the back if it was rated R. Nice. We, we would just do the buy tickets and walk into something else one. Because there was never anybody posted up in front of the theater. So we would just, like, buy tickets for, like, Wild Wild West or something and then go see the South Park movie. That's just, like, what we did. (laughs) All right, we're not going to talk about the other Mortal Kombat series. We're going to talk about the animated VHS that came out a couple months before this movie came out in August of 1995. They they knew they needed to explain this movie because test audiences had a problem. So they planned on putting out this Mortal Kombat, the animated video, The Journey Begins. We slid this video in. We had a Mortal Kombat trailer, obviously. But then we we get New Line being New Line, and they are selling the shit out of this movie. We have a live Mortal Kombat tour. Mm -hmm. We have Mortal Kombat shirt promo, only two shirts per order. Right. And I'm going to play that right now. You've played it. You've watched it. Now, live it. Mortal Kombat, the live tour, coming soon. Be part of the adventure from Mortal Kombat the movie. Own the official crew t-shirt. This 100% cotton official Mortal Kombat film crew t-shirt is available to you only through this offer. It's not sold in any stores or catalogs and it's only available for a limited time, so you'd better hurry. Send check or money order for $14.95 plus $3.95 shipping and handling. Payable to Crew Shirt, Box 699-78, Los Angeles, California, 90069. Specify size, limit two shirts per order. Get your authentic t-shirt now. 
That's awesome. Yeah, it's crew shirt. It says like Mortal Kombat crew and has the logo on the back. It's awesome. Oh, I freaking love it. That's why we started this podcast. Yeah, shit like that promo was why we wanted to do this. Then we had the Combat Club, which I think was really weird. That probably didn't work out. I, I don't know. Like fan clubs that you sent away money for and you get like the newsletter and little like things like that medallion and printed out things. Those were so popular in the mid-90s. Like, there was, like, the Batman fan club. There was, like, the Nickelodeon fan clubs, things like that. Those were hot. Then we got into New Line, one of New Line's movies at the time, uh, National Lampoon's Senior Trip. I love this movie. (laughs) So do I. (laughs) This was a nostalgia time machine here. I I was captured. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this movie. I wanted to turn this tape off and go watch Senior Trip instead. Exactly. And then as the tape went on further, I wanted to do that more and more. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. We had uh, the Mortal Kombat 3 codes and behind the scenes. I don't remember them putting the Mortal Kombat 3 codes in this. They're supposed to be hidden in the video somewhere. Oh. I don't know where they're hidden, though, because I just didn't care. Yeah, this was tough to sit through. Yeah. So it was a combination of, like, 2D uh, animation, 3D. Didn't it look like like Adult Swim, like Space Ghost and, like, Aqua Teens, where it was, like hand-drawn animated things over like 3d landscapes there was one point where like i swear sonya belayed slid into frame and she was like supposed to be like walking over to them but it looked like somebody like clicked her on a computer and dragged her into the shot like it was so bad (laughs) well you could tell this animation is so rushed that's why like 75 percent of it is just dialogue yes so boring dialogue now this is supposed to be Sort of like their adventure coming over to the land where they're going to fight, right? That's like what this is supposed to be. So it's them telling stories about where they came from and shit. It's supposed to be them just basically spoon-feeding kids. Yeah. They're like, hey, kids, this is what this movie's about. And then you you get like four fights, I believe, and they're atrocious. They look like video game, like somebody shot scenes from Mortal Kombat 3. Which they probably did. <laughs> it, it's bad. It's like polygon, craptastic nastiness. It looks like, like Atari Jaguar graphic. I, I don't even know. No, that was a more CD. It's just bad. It is bad. And their mouths don't move while they're talking. No. It's awful. Yeah, and it's only during the fight scenes that we get like this like over-the-top 3D virtual reality kind of animation or whatever because then it's 2D on 3D for the rest of the show. Yeah, I don't get it. And the, the fights are so bad. And they, like, don't even touch each other. There's one point where Goro fights another Goro and pushes him off the edge. Oh, yeah, his brother. And he takes, like, a, a diamond or whatever. His hands can't even hold it, so it's yeah. just, like, floating and hovering <laughs> and shaking above his hand. Like, it's so bad. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's probably because it was rushed, too. It was definitely rushed. I'm sure after they finished the cut of this and they ran it through, the kids were confused. So yeah. how can we explain this? Oh, uh, well, how about we release an animation in April and the movie comes out in theaters in August? That'll solve everything. Yeah, basically, that's what I think they were hoping for. And, I mean, it was a way to make a quick buck, too, because they could sell the tapes as well. So it was, like, both explaining and way to do more marketing it's the star wars approach and i I mean i remember seeing this tape everywhere Mm -hmm. in 95 so it must have worked to an extent because i remember seeing this fucking thing however there was a cartoon called defenders of the realm which because i love you guys and i'm a glutton for punishment i watched the pilot episode of and jesus christ it's terrible (laughs) (laughs) i i like the animation of it it looks kind of cheap but it's like one of those like deke shows where it's like you know it looks it looks like a 90s animation you know it's fine and it was a usa show it was on usa saturday morning so it was like with their double dragons savage dragon and what else did they have exo squad all those usa shows which i actually really liked all of those but this mortal kombat one was also so boring it is just characters walking and talking why does this franchise about fighting have so much walking and talking in it (laughs) i guess because animating fights is hard yeah that has to be it probably 
I don't know. It's I, I'm glad you watched it and I didn't. Yeah, don't. Like honestly, it's not it's not good. <laughs> Let's right. go ahead and move on to what we're putting in our museum. This is the second time I've had to reclaim my property from you. That belongs in a museum. So do you. All right, Matt, explain our museum. Oh, every week we put something in the museum that we want to like learn from or we really like because we dig through these tapes, so there's always some treasure in them. Matt, what are you putting in your museum? I think I've got to put in the museum the uh, scorpion meltdown because it was the only thing that really tied it to the things I liked about the game, and it was pretty cool. It, and it showcased a lot of like the 90s effects where you had like the skull head and shit like that and just goop melting off of him. So uh, that image stuck with me after watching this. So I'm going to put Scorpion's Meltdown in the museum. All right. In my wing of the museum, uh, first I'm going to go back to my wing where I have that the, the crazy monkeys from Jumanji. I have the stupid monkey from... Um, Lost in space. And then I'm going to just slowly stick in this stupid reptile. And then I'm going to run to the other side of my good wing because then I'm going to put Goro in and say, like, damn, that's how you make an animatronic. And this was so big. Yes. It was like a human, but like like an eight foot tall human that they built an entire animatronic for. (laughs) It's incredible. Talk about ambitious yeah that was pretty awesome pretty awesome stuff it would have been nice if they could have uh gotten it to move better but they said they just couldn't that's when i think you have to have the cg element to smooth over yeah smooth out that walking especially when john i mean obviously they couldn't have johnny cage fight goro because goro just couldn't move really well enough so they're like oh we'll just have him run away and then fall off a cliff yeah that's why that you know fight is lame yeah so that's when you smooth it out with CG. Yeah. But thank God they didn't because this CG was awful. Don't <laughs> yes. <do that. laughs> so that's what's in my wing of the museum. Let's come back with what's next. The fate of billions will depend upon you. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Matt, my video game month is now over. It's been fun. Oh, yeah, it came to a glorious end, and I had a blast with this one with Mortal Kombat and Super Mario Brothers and Rampage and Ready Player One and Pacific Rim 2. It's been a fun month. It's been a fun month for sure. A lot of colors. Yes. (laughs) A lot of ridiculous fighting. Yes. Except in Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately not in Mortal Kombat, though. So it's been fun, but now I'm going to let you introduce your month. So next week... We're going to take a look at Extraordinary Tales, uh, which is a movie you can watch on Netflix, so get a jump on that, We are because it's going to kick off Animation May. Animation, if you will. That's going to be our mini episode to sort of kick off the month, but then the rest of the month, there's so much good animated tapes, we're doing all tapes. The next three are all tapes. So we're going to watch Ferngully, The Last Rainforest. We are going to watch G.I. Joe, The Movie. And we are going to watch An American Tale, Five Goes West, to fill out animation. I get it. G.I. Joe and Extraordinary Tales, I would never seen. And Fern Gully and An American Tale, I have not seen in 20 years. So it's just going to be fun to take a look at some animation nostalgia that maybe isn't like, you know, the super popular animated stuff that we've seen 100,000 times already. I'm the same way. Now, I've seen G.I. Joe, the movie. I just can't remember what happens. I wasn't a G.I. Joe kid. We'll, you know, we'll talk about that when we get to that movie. Yeah. But yep. I'm super, super excited about Fern Gully. All right. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can rate and review us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Podbean and YouTube. And now... You can listen to us also on Google Play and Stitcher. Yes. We are... We're expanding. We're getting so popular. Yes, we are. And uh, just for our listeners, once again, this if you're downloading this the day it comes out, it is also the opening day of Windy City Horrorama. Please come out. It's at the Davis Theater. Uh, it's going to be all weekend long. It's wall-to-wall movies. We have 
16 features over the course of the weekend that we're going to be playing, as well as probably around another 15 shorts. You're not going to want to miss it if you're a fan of nerdy stuff, if you're a fan of horror, if you're a fan of meeting filmmakers. Who isn't? <laughs> we've got parties. We've got movies. It's going to be a jam-packed weekend. So if you're listening to this on Friday on your way home from work, stop at home, get some dinner, and then come out and hang out with us all weekend. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited for Secret Santa. Yes, me too. It is a wonderful wonderful christmas horror movie which they are just the best when they're good they're like the best um and it is so bloody and so funny and we've got the cast and crew there the director adam marcus who is from jason goes hell fame of course will be there and it's it's going we're going to have a secret santa after party but the movie screening itself is going to be a party (laughs) yeah i can't wait this is going to be a lot of fun this weekend and I hope you come out. If you can't come out Friday night, try to make it Saturday or definitely Sunday. Yes, Saturday we we have a bunch of premieres. We've got uh, a, a one fun retrospective screening that's like going to end the night, which will be a party in and of itself as well. You don't want to miss the world premiere of Soft Matter on, on Saturday because it is a movie that you are not going to believe, and we're the first to have it for some reason. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, Sunday we're going to watch The Blob. Everybody loves The Blob. And we've got an awesome documentary uh, about why we like gore in movies called More Blood, which, as a documentary about gore in movies, you can come to expect a lot of really fun clips <laughs> in that one. So come out. Hang out with us. Let's party. And tickets are $12 a piece, but but you can use your movie pass to get in. Yeah, so if you're seeing multiple a day to save you money, use your movie pass when you come to see like your first one. And then, yeah, everything is $12 besides a couple of exceptions. We have a family double feature on Saturday that's only $5 because it's for the kids. So hopefully you could bring the whole family out for that. Uh, we've got a retrospective screening of Lurking Fear, which is a full moon movie. Our listeners probably love full moon. <laughs> um, so come out for that. That's only 7 bucks. The documentary I talked about is only 7 bucks, And we've got a really crazy movie from Uganda called Bad Black, which is just unbelievable that they were able to pull this off in a village with no money and make this wild action movie that one's only 10 bucks and that we will definitely be pumping you full of drinks pipeworks beer will be 50 percent off the entire weekend what so you can get trashed for like no money <laughs> and just watch movies with us awesome this is gonna be great i'm Can't excited wait. i'm excited we're in it now if you're listening to this like i'm pulling my hair out probably stressed probably crying in a closet somewhere as you're listening to this (laughs) you'll be fine we'll just give you some pipeworks beer yeah that'll make it through that'll make it through i'll just (laughs) i'll just bring a flask of scotch (laughs) so come back next week for extraordinary tales and thank you for listening make sure to be kind and rewind we actually did it right this time